Hi everyone, how you doing? JJ Walsh here in Hiroshima, and this is part two of seeking travel sustainability in Japan. Today is also、uh, part two of talking about the zero waste town of Kamikatsu and a recent trip that I did there in July. And I visited Kamikatsu three times, but this last trip. Opened my eyes to a lot of the new innovation and new appeal of the destination, which I would like to share with you as we think about future travel, but also as we think about more sustainable options in our lives, in our work, and hopefully coming soon in travel as well. So, thanks for joining me, guys, and I hope you can get some. Great insights and ideas, and、uh, travel a little bit virtually with me, no matter where you are in the world. So, welcome. Thank you so much for joining.、Uh, first, I'd like to pick up the conversation. Last time I talked about、uh, the Y facility, the new Y garbage sorting facility in Kamikatsu, about the Onsen Hotel, about the leaf business, which was introduced by the hotel staff. About Cafe Polestar and the iNow or eNow、uh, local experience program and、uh, the appeal of being next to the river. So, this time I would like to introduce something that I remember from my first visit is the local tea. So, in extension of the leaf business, The area of Kamikatsu is really famous for awa bancha or kamikatsu bancha or a local tea which is fermented. And one of the things that I really liked about visiting a local producer of the tea is how she's talking about a lot of the tea fields are becoming. Derelict and nobody is tending to them, no one is harvesting as the population becomes an、uh, aging population, and there's less people who are interested in continuing the traditional ways. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting after she gave us this wonderful explanation of all the different kinds of teas, and、uh, we could smell all the different flavors. Uh, depending on how they were fermented or how the tea was processed in different natural ways, is she's using very old techniques. So she showed us this wooden apparatus, which they've actually gone back to after changing to more modern machines because they love the flavor that comes from this process more. Than using the modern machines. And this is something that when I visited Tea Factory again in Hiroshima, a young entrepreneur who's doing a tea business there, he also said a very similar thing about preferring the use of older machines, which process in a more gentle way, which gives a richer, richer deeper. Uh, flavor to the tea, which he prefers. And she said the same thing about Awa Bancha, Kamikatsu Bancha, and the tea processing there. I was also really interested、um, in Hiroshima Tea Factory. Again, he doesn't ferment the tea, he processes it in a different way. But in Kamikatsu, they ferment the tea, not using any additives, just using water. And the style of fermenting in the wooden barrels. And this takes me back to when I visited the、um, Kane Mitsu Miso factory, also in Hiroshima, and how they were talking about use of these old wooden barrels as a way to get the traditional flavors of miso, which they can't get in the plastic barrels. And once again, here she was talking about the same thing. You can only get the rich, wonderful taste of fermented tea using the wooden barrels,、um, even though other people had been using plastic barrels. You can't get that amazing, rich flavor. Hi, Peter. Thanks so much for the award. Really appreciate it. Coming to us from Colorado. Hopefully, you have some interest in the insights. I'm talking about today. 
Um, so that was the experience we had visiting a woman who is growing, harvesting, and processing and fermenting the local tea. And uh, it was a wonderful experience and uh, definitely something you want to do if you visit this small town. It's one of their assets. You can see the local tea sold everywhere at Cafe Polestar and uh, Rise and Win Brewery. You can buy the tea in bulk and use your own container, which is another way to reduce waste, of course, uh, reusing your own container. And uh, we also had the same tea when we visited a local glamping facility. So it was a beautiful, like really light flavored tea, really refreshing in summer when served cold. And uh, we also had it when we visited uh, Bar Irodi up in the mountains. And he is a very active entrepreneur in the area. And when we arrived at his mountain retreat, beautiful place there, he served us the tea from the, the woman that we had visited the day before. Um, and so it was so nice to taste the same tea that we just saw the process of making it in a new location. And he took us on a hike uh, behind his facility, but such an impressive glamping facility, bar, uh, event space that he has there. And the views of the valley are absolutely stunning. A little bit hard to get there. Uh, the first time I visited Kamikatsu, I actually gave up trying to drive up the tiny roads to his place because I was really intimidated by all the small country roads up the mountain. Um, but when locals took me up there, I was so happy to see it and to see that they're utilizing this modern style of high quality accommodation in this uh, beautiful area. So the combination of a very natural place to stay in high quality accommodation with this beautiful view. So you can see here inside the tent, they have proper beds. It's not uh, futons on the floor. It's raised up uh, in wintertime. They have a stove inside to keep it warm. Uh, the bath comes from the waters mountain spring and it's heated up with local wood. He also has a solar uh, water heater, which someone in the local area donated to him. And he uses that to also heat some of the water. Uh, he has so many great uh, zero waste initiatives in place here. And uh, really exciting to see so much innovation. So a lot of use of local insights and local traditions, but also in combination with imports, which are very high quality and very appealing. And this is, of course, very important in terms of attracting uh, visitors. But one of the things that he was talking about is really wanting to add value to people in the local community. So in his bar, uh, he will go and pick up local people and bring them to the bar and take them home to make sure that they can get to and from safely. And uh, it's such a great initiative. Of course, it takes more effort to ferry people up and down to his facility, but he really wants to run a business which gives benefit to local people as well as to outside visitors. And he doesn't want it to be just a place that tourists use. And I think finding this balance is something that um, is often a debate in uh, tourist destinations. So I grew up in Hawaii. This is something we always talk about uh, with business in Hawaii because the whole economy is based on tourism. And how do you give visitors a high quality experience, but how do you also give value 
and retain quality of life for local people. This is a really important conversation you need to have. And in Hawaii, for example, they have a discount system for local people. So called the kama'aina rate. So if you live in Hawaii, you pay taxes in Hawaii, you can usually get discounts at local hotels, uh, easier booking times at local hotels. You can get discounts at restaurants and bars. So I'm so happy when I meet entrepreneurs at rural or any destination in Japan who are thinking about how to give back value to local people with running a business. So this is a, another great example of that. Um, I was also happy since three years ago when I visited Bar Irori's glamping facility that he has extended um, what he is offering. So he now has this beautiful modern wood stove kitchen right next to the spring, the uh, river stream going by. So people can walk down and take a little dip in the stream, come back, cook your meal, and see this amazing valley and beautiful mountains around you. So what a great uh, extension to what he was already doing with the glamping and offering even more. He also has like a live music space, uh, a little stage a terrace that extends out to the valley. So he's, he's offering more and more and uh, connecting with so many other local people as, all, as well as lots of other local businesses like the tea, like the beer, like the local sake. So it's, it's just a great example um, to talk about. Um, I, for the first time this year, when I visited, I had a chance to do some hiking. And this sounds crazy, but the first two visits I had to Kamikatsu, I was just focused on the whole concept of zero waste and learning about how they are at 80% diversion from landfill, how they are recycling uh, so much of their waste, how they're doing 100% composting. Um, so this visit, it was such a great opportunity to do some hiking with some local guides. And on this hike, we went to a beech wood forest and they are trying to replant and re-energize this old forest, which used to be full of beech trees. And so that was one of their, their targets. But when she was taking us, uh, this local tree expert, when she was taking us on this hike, she also introduced to us how certain areas of the forest are being thinned. So um, this is something I touched on a little bit on the other hike with the guide from the hotel. And the hotel is using the wood the local wood as part of their biomass for the energy for the hotel. And uh, the local wood value is so low that for even one of these big trees, they can only get a thousand yen, which is like $10. So $10 doesn't even cover the cost of paying someone to go and cut it down. It doesn't cost nearly a fraction of what it costs to not only cut it down, but to deliver it to the lumber yard to sell it. So without any value, without any market for the local wood, they had devised uh, strategies such as using the local wood for biomass, trying to use local wood in different areas. In the first talk last week, I talked about um, they were reusing a lot of disused windows and doors, but also if they put new wood in the new buildings, they were using local wood only. So Kamikatsu area used to be really famous for its wood, and that originally made the town uh, quite rich many years ago. But then after the war, like many parts of Japan, one type of tree, the sugi tree, was planted um, in order to create new lumber very quickly, but they were losing a lot of the diversity of the forest. 
and now there's no market for these trees. So even thinning the forest, you're actually doing it at cost instead of making any money from the resource. So I thought that was really interesting. She was pointing out areas in the forest where they had been doing thinning projects. Um, she also introduced the different types of leaves to us, different trees. Um, another idea of which leaves you could eat, uh, berries that you could eat, and pointing this out as we did the hike together, which I, I always find it fascinating. I visited uh, Australia years ago and did a bush bush walking tour where he also showed us which plants and which trees we could eat along the way. And I think this is a, a great idea for spreading tourist appeal, uh, visitors to your area, even locals might not know this information. So if you take them on a hike through the local area and you show them which plants are edible, or in Japanese, you call it sansai, um, mountain forest vegetables, which can be harvested and uh, part of the, the gathering part of human history, right? Surviving from the food you can gather in the wild. There was a great uh, book by Winifred Bird that I've been reading, and she wrote an entire book about eating wild in Japan about sansai and gathering foods in the forest and gathering seaweed from the oceans and the culture of that in traditional Japan. And she traveled all across Japan uh, documenting different areas where they do that and telling all those wonderful stories. So yeah, definitely check that out. Winifred Bird uh, eating wild Japan. Now, another hike that we did in the beginning of the, the trip was just above the beautiful rice terraces, uh, which is also famous in Kamikatsu. And these rice terraces I did visit on previous visits, but I only went there uh, very quickly, took a photo, and then went somewhere else. So it was really nice on this trip to go to these amazing rice terraces, be able to see them just after they've been planted. And you can see a little bit in the photo. Let me try to make it bigger. Um, you can see the design of the rice terraces. So this terrace is actually considered one of the 100 most beautiful rice terraces in Japan. <laughs> So it's a little bit famous, right? And it starts in very small rice terrace in the top and then gets bigger and bigger as it goes down. So it's using the traditional idea of satoyama or even permaculture or using uh, what is used around the world in a lot of indigenous cultures to use the natural flow of nature's valleys where water from the mountain springs can naturally pass through the agriculture fields and down through the valley naturally. So of course, really important um, if you are at the top of the field that you're not putting in anything which is going to pollute or make the water less pure as it goes down to other people in the community. And uh, so most of it is naturally uh, done, natural, or organic and part of their natural organic leaf business as well is the same concept high up in the mountains and you keep it pure, you keep the purity of the water, which a lot of other people depend on, but also a lot of other businesses depend on. I will introduce uh, in a few moments of uh, the local brewery, which is definitely a big attraction in Kamikatsu as well. So it was so wonderful to see this and to hear that a local university had had a kind of art project here where they lined these rice terraces with LED lights. And after the rice was harvested, and usually people don't visit these rice terraces anymore, um, they did this art project where at night, as the sun sets and the stars come out, you could also see the lining of these intricate rice fields 
lined by the LED lights. And that added a little bit of an extension to the tourist appeal or visitor appeal to these mountain rice terraces. Isn't that a great idea? I wish they would um, do it more regularly so people could uh, come every year, depend on it. And also one of the things which was I was a bit sad to see is there aren't any uh, local eateries anymore. When I first visited years ago, there was a local soba place and he had a kind of a, a shelter in the back. And I said, oh, what is that for? And he said, I'm making the pizza oven. So when I first visited, I had the feeling that it was becoming more of a tourist or visitor or even local asset for a place to come and spend time and spend some money, which benefits the local people. But uh, those places have since closed up. Hopefully they'll come back, reopen again sometime in future, because if there's nothing there to spend your money on, uh, most people will drive all the way up and uh, that's kind of inconvenient for local people trying to get down. You're clogging the roads a little bit. So you're creating kind of a nuisance and then you're not benefiting those local people at all in terms of leaving any money or buying any of their goods. But if there's nothing to buy, how do you do that as a visitor? So hopefully the tour guides coming up, they would find other ways to support these local businesses. Maybe they would be buying their rice or encouraging other visitors, even domestically from Japan. Oh, you can sign up or reserve the rice to be sent to you wherever you are in the world. So that could be another idea. But always thinking about how do you leave benefit for local people, not just inconvenience from the visitors, from the tourism is another important thing to think about when thinking about the balance between local people and visitors, the balance between the quality of life of people, the quality of the environment, and profits, which is important. It's an important part of the sustainable balance. Um, so just above these rice terraces, this time I had a chance to join a hike and it was a very special hike. Let me see if you can see this, this photo. So this is the rice terraces again. Uh, you can see the wider view. You can see the mountains beyond. I always feel the most refreshed when I can't see any skyscrapers. I can't see any concrete. I feel like I'm really out in the wilderness, enjoying nature. I love it love that juxtaposition of design and the rice terraces design, but also the rice terraces tradition and culture and nature. Now, just beyond this rice terrace is a really beautiful hike and it's very special. And I hadn't visited and didn't know about it on previous visits at all. It's always nice to see flowers along the side for the pollinators. Uh, there were many beautiful irises and other lilies and kinds of flowers. I don't know about irises, sorry. I don't know my flowers very well. Um, but then we went up into the forest and there were a lot of cedar trees, which you see around Japan a lot. Um, kind of a overdone, quickly forested tree option. And they're very closely planted together. Like I mentioned before, there's not much of a market uh, for domestic lumber right now. Hopefully uh, we can improve that. And uh, if you're doing any remodel projects and you need wood for your remodel projects, make sure you ask in Japan for domestic wood. It's definitely available. You just got to ask for it. And then beyond this Sugi forest, this cedar forest, once we got into a more like an older, more diverse forest, it actually became really a lot cooler. And it was very interesting that if you bent down amongst the rocks, there was actually cool air coming up from below the rocks. And above the rocks, there was all this beautiful moss. 
It was like a magical mossy forest. It was fabulous. And our guide who is from the hotel was telling us that the local people actually remember many years ago when they were children being sent up into this part of the forest to collect ice from below the rocks on a warm uh, spring day. And uh, when he was telling them, oh, people like to go up hiking through the forest now and see the moss. And they're like, I don't remember any moss. Like for them, it was just a place to go and do this chore, this household chore or duty to collect the ice from under the rocks. But then now people go in and cool off in summer and enjoy all this beautiful moss everywhere. It was really magical, wonderful place. Definitely somewhere you want to seek out if you make it to Kamikatsu. Here's another view of the moss. You can see the path and the rocks underneath and these big piles of moss. And one of the other really special things about this forest is you saw some old gnarly trees. And uh, some of them would have like the straw around them. There was some big rocks inside this part of the forest and the rocks had chains and a little wooden sign. And I, I was asking about it. Apparently the local people feel that these huge old trees or these huge old rocks, they have a kind of spiritual essence. And uh, so they think of them as temples. And they refer to these old trees or these old rocks as temples. And uh, part of the pilgrimage, part of a place that you should go to for enlightenment. And I love this idea of nature's assets as a place to gain enlightenment. Because isn't that true? It's absolutely true. We cannot be happy in our lives with an absence of nature. We need nature. We need trees. And when I visit forests like this, I feel completely rejuvenated and refreshed because of that connection to nature. And so the local people having this reverence for uh, huge old trees or huge rocks and calling them temples. I just, I love that. Uh, hey, M MC Lito, thanks for joining. Cool, I wanna go there now, yeah. It's so nice to escape the heat, right? Um, I wonder why they planted so much sugi in Japan. I heard it causes a lot of allergies. Yeah, uh, the sugi, so the closely planted cedar, uh, that we walk through at the start of all the hikes at uh, anywhere in Japan, but in Kamikatsu as well. Uh, it's part of a replanting uh, like drive after the war because so much wood uh, was used too quickly. And so they wanted to replant quickly and a very fast growing type of tree, which they knew the wood uh, is very easy to use for buildings or furniture, is sugi, is cypress. So they, they planted uh, too much of it, too close together. And then now, almost 70 years later, there's no market for it, like I said before, and it's it's becoming an even bigger problem. Of course, it's it still has benefits because it's it's nature and it's soaking in carbon and it can be used, but there's no uh, value in terms of the market right now. So a lot of people are waiting until the market rebounds to sell their sugi forest, which they own. So a lot of these forests are privately owned, which I, I hadn't realized as well. Yeah, good question. Um, I often ask people about that. There are a few initiatives around um, Japan trying to reutilize um, the local wood. And I mentioned the hotel is using the biomass. So using local wood to create energy, to create the hot spring 
uh, onsen bath. And that's one good way. There's also a lot of local wood being used in the local buildings. For example, the Y Facility Hotel or um, the Rise and Win Brewery uses local wood where they need the new wood and reuse the old uh, windows and door frames if they can. So yeah, use of local wood whenever you can. Uh, for me as well, when I remodeled our house, I had to ask so many times, please, 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 can I use local wood? So uh, the go-to wood is imported, unfortunately. But I've heard that recently um, the domestic wood market has a chance to rebound because imported wood is actually becoming more expensive, a little bit price prohibitive. So that could be a very good thing for domestic wood, let's hope. So if you are doing any remodel projects or building a new house, make sure you ask for local wood, right? All right, speaking of the brewery, because I mentioned Rise and Win many times, and it is definitely a great local asset in terms of creating destination appeal and providing a useful, nice service for local people, which they also enjoy, is Rise and Win. Now, uh, why Rise and Win? I love the name of this craft brewery. Kamikatsu in kanji means, in a literal translation, rise and win. So the, the meaning, the translation of the kanji for Kamikatsu, this town name, is rise and win. So it's a very clever craft beer uh, name imported from Canada. Yeah, a lot of uh, trees are imported actually from rainforests in Indonesia and Canada. So if you are choosing imported wood, make sure you're asking for the uh, certificate which shows that it was at least a more sustainable forest uh, before it was cut down and imported, which they do have in Japan. Um, so this Rise and Wind building is so interesting and unique. And like I introduced in the last uh, talk last week about Kamikatsu with the Y building, the new Y garbage sorting facility and hotel uses the same designer. So they're reusing old windows and old doors from the local area from derelict buildings, buildings that were abandoned and not used anymore. And it's such a stunning uh, facing, like sun facing design of this building. Isn't it spectacular? I love it. Such a great design, it's so unique. Uh, when I was talking to the, the owner a few years ago when I visited, he was explaining how they loved the design, the designer, the architects, everybody was in love with this design. And then when they actually started building it, the builders were really <laughs> confused how they were going to make it work because all of the windows and doors are different sizes. So to make it into one uniform shape was actually a real challenge. Um, for the builders. So kudos to the carpenters and builders that actually put it together. He also told me, and you can notice this when you go inside the Rise and Wind building, that when they first built just the one layer of windows uh, on hot sunny days, it was too hot inside. So they actually built a second layer of windows to insulate and to take off the edge of some of that heat. But also in winter, it would insulate and keep them a bit warmer. That's cool, yeah. Kamikatsu for the question mark hotel. Yeah, the Y Hotel. Pieced it together like a jigsaw puzzle. Yes, exactly. And this is actually piecing pieces of wood together like a jigsaw puzzle is actually one of the things I've talked to carpenters and people who've studied architecture in traditional methods in Japan, going back to how they build temples and how they do joinery in such a beautiful way without nails. So 
this also connects, even though it's a very modern looking impressive building, it also connects to traditional building styles and this idea of not wasting your material and perfectly fitting it together without um, damaging the wood or without damaging your resource. I just love it. It's fantastic. Now, Rise and Win, yeah, double paint, literally, yes. <laughs> now, Rise and Win facility, also, they are expanding the assets that they are offering. So when we visited this time, uh, when I visited the first time, they couldn't make anything vegetarian for me. Uh, but this time when we visited, they did a stunning lunch for me, all vegan, uh, with local eggplant utilized into baba ganoush and falafel. And it was such great volume. I was so full. And usually as a vegan, I feel like um, I'm on a diet because they just give me a little bit of salad, but I was eating so well in Kamikatsu and these small businesses are really rising to the challenge of trying to cater to uh, people who are seeking out meals without meat or without fish. And for the inbound market, this is definitely in high demand. Um, so yeah, great job. Another nice new asset that the Rise and Win company is doing, uh, besides the brewery, which I will mention visiting the brewery in a second, just hold on, um, they are also offering SUP, stand up and paddle experiences at the dam and river, which isn't far from this Rise and Win brewery, uh, which is at the beginning of the climb up to Kamikatsu Town. So it's right at the bottom, the base of Kamikatsu Town. Um, just to answer your question, how to get to Kamikatsu. So uh, usually the easiest way is by car. And I was happy to see at Rise and Wind, they do have an electric charger there. Uh, if you have a BMW, <laughs> they don't have the other electric chargers yet. Um, at the main hotel, at the Onsen Hotel, they do have a charger, electric car charger, but you need your own uh, cord and adapter, but you can also ask to charge there if you have your own cords. Um, but this is, this is improving, and a lot of people do drive here, so it's nice if they cater to people driving cleaner vehicles, uh, plug-in hybrids or electric vehicles. Um, so yes, most people come here by car. Uh, this area of Shikoku Island is very well connected by bridges over to Honshu. So you have a bridge coming from the Kobe Kanto area. You have a bridge coming from the Hiroshima Okayama area. So it's really not so difficult to drive there um, to Kamikatsu, to Tokushima in general. You can take a train and then a bus, but the buses are very infrequent. This is definitely something rural areas uh, need to work a little bit more on, um, how to make access a little bit easier. Um, but this area is also famous for pilgrimage, so maybe you could do it as part of your pilgrimage trail of the 88 temples and walk your way up to Kamikatsu. <laughs> So this is um, back to the Rise and Wind facility. Rise and Wind's main facility here that you see as you go up into Kamikatsu. They have also added a really wonderful modern shower, like a waterfall type shower um, and a bathtub outside, which uses less energy. Um, they have barbecue, which is unfortunately imported meats, but they balance it with a lot of the other sustainable zero waste initiatives they're doing. So I think if you're trying to be a sustainable business, but you're trying to create appeal for visitors, you have to have that balance of finding unique assets. So their unique asset is their craft beer. Now, a lot of malt and barley has to be imported, but they also use local citrus fruits in different uh, seasonal beers. So they also take care of their waste product after and making sure it's reutilized at farms. 
They make sure their wastewater is filtered before it goes back in the system. They're also offering uh, plant-based options now, and they're also trying to think of eco-tourism ideas like supping. So it's all part of the package, right? The appeal package. And I think if you just say, oh, they're not sustainable because they're importing meat or they're not sustainable because they're importing barley, that's a little bit too shallow of a view. And you have to think of it like they're trying to do a appealing business and make more sustainable changes wherever they can. And they're always trying to improve. And this Seeking sustainability, seeking better options is key for any business trying to last unto future generations, but also trying to lower their impact on their society and on the environment. So if you want to do a brewery tour with Rise and Win, which I would highly recommend, um, they would send you to their second brewery up the hill called Stonewall Hill. And Stonewall Hill is a reused old factory building and they have a really modern, cool uh, brewery facility inside. They're also uh, aging some of their beer in wooden barrels. And uh, they have this wooden tasting room made from local uh, wood and dyed on the outside with indigo dye, which is local Aizome indigo plant, which is also very famous from the Tokushima area. They have this balance of uh, young entrepreneurship and collaboration with international artists to make this tasting room, for example, that was a British artist group that came over and collaborated with them. Um, they also have a lot of collaborations with Portland because they have the uh, brewing, I want to say brewing machines, but I know that's wrong. <laughs> the brewing vats, I would say, are from uh, Portland. So they have this collaboration with Portland to have these high quality craft brew machines. They're starting to brew more. They have uh, reusable kegs. They have a tasting room in Tokyo, which is near the Tokyo Tower. If you're in the Tokyo area, I would recommend going and uh, drinking some of their amazing beer from their Tokyo Tap Room. Um, but you can also eat some local kamikatsu vegetables when you're in the Tokyo Tap Room as well. So it's being in Tokyo, having a taproom there is also a way to brand the local kamikatsu area. So some people may say, well, it's not local kamikatsu people who are running the local business, but it is such an important part of the destination appeal for kamikatsu. So definitely something you want to check out, especially for craft beer lovers or if you're looking for a good feed, or um, you want to take their sup tour. I'm running out of time. I want to introduce so much more. Okay, so I introduced about the hotel last time, and I want to mention how great they were in catering to me as a vegan. And this is a new thing for them. Uh, they don't usually do. Um, but I was really impressed with all the food and I made sure to mention to the chefs how well they had done it and I would definitely recommend it to other people. Uh, they made vegan sushi for me, vegan tempura, all the traditional foods, um, but they made sure to have the dashi is made from mushrooms and uh, seaweed instead of fish or um, yeah, the usual katsuo bushi fish stock. But one of the things which I thought was so cute, as well as a very good way um, to make sure that your staff is in uh, clear communication with the customer 
and the chef is on my section of the table every day, they had this cute little rubber duck. So when they were serving the regular uh, dishes made with fish to people on my table, they made sure that mine was the plant-based version. So this little duck was the signal to the staff to make sure this was where the meat-free or fish-free or allergy-free meals was going. And you have to pre-reserve, but I just wanted to mention how great they did this and suggest to other restaurants or other small businesses, if you're thinking of how to cater to people with allergies or people who are seeking out vegan plant-based options, this is a great strategy to use. Um, one of the other uh, key elements of omotenashi, which I was very impressed with, is I was talking with some of the other people about my love of avocado and uh, it appeared on my plate later that night. So when you have staff who are listening to the customer and acting on things that they hear, that is a wonderful management strategy or training strategy to introduce to your staff if you want to raise your game for offering great hospitality. So he just put it in my salad. I don't think it was random. I think that was because he heard me talking about it and I wasn't talking about it to hint either. It was just lovely that it appeared on my plate that way. Um, but also having a staff training where you have that clear communication about uh, allergies or how to cater to people um, who are, you know, having different meals, make sure there's no mix-ups. Another place um, which was a, a big surprise this time um, is actually really famous for appearing in a local uh, Japanese film. So the leaf business also, I think during the 80s or 90s, uh, made this a popular place to come and do some films. And so this building uh, was appeared in a film. You can see the play card there uh, just in front of the, the building. It's a little bit outside the main town area, um, but just a, a gorgeous old building. And inside, uh, he had lots of uh, like retro posters. And he uh, is a photographer who uh, took over the family business. And he offers curry lunches. But as we found, if you book ahead, he can also do uh, local vegetables in a barbecue. And the local shiitake, the mushrooms, are just phenomenal. And it was such a beautiful meal. Um, so all of the great plant-based meals I had in Kamikatsu had to be booked in advance. The only meal that was on the menu is at Cafe Polestar. She has a wonderful uh, vegan curry lunch, but all the other wonderful plant-based meals I had, had to be booked in advance. And one of the things that I recommended um, to the local town, and I often recommend to any destination in Japan, is you have more plant-based options on the menu. Because we know that even if most people want to eat the barbecue at your place, if they come in a group, it's very likely that at least one or two people in the group are going to want a vegetarian or vegan option. So if you have at least one vegan or vegetarian option at your restaurant or eatery or hotel, that is a great asset to everyone because everyone can eat the vegan option. Uh, it's very popular uh, with young women in Japan because it's the, seen as a more healthy option and uh, maybe a diet option. All right. So that is something I always recommend. <laughs> uh, two other places I didn't mention last time, which I definitely want to touch on, 
is the upcycle shop right next to the Y Hotel. So the question mark new facility, which is a hotel and education space, as well as the community's uh, waste center where they put their garbage into 45 different categories. And at this um, next facility, which used to be the Zero Waste Academy, where they would start the tour for the garbage center, um, they have this upcycle um, workshop. And so they hire local people to reutilize um, some of the materials from the koinobori, the hanging carp streamers, which they hang every Children's Day. So every May, they hang these beautiful carp streamers across the valley. And some of the carp streamers over time get worn and torn. So they reutilize parts of the material, which are still beautiful and still possible to be reused into jackets, gorgeous, colorful jackets and bags and lots of different other products. And so this is another fabulous asset because you're creating a place for visitors to spend money and support the local economy. You're also creating employment as local people can get money from working here. Uh, you're also creating money out of garbage, right? Like these materials would not have been utilized otherwise. And you're creating something you can sell from garbage, which is awesome and very sustainable. So definitely check out the reuse shop right next to the new Y facility and Y hotel. If you're in Kamikatsu, uh, so many great things there. Uh, they also have uh, like a local artisan section. So uh, Nobo-san, who is a local builder, carpenter, as well as artisan. And sometimes uh, some of the local businesses will do uh, travel experience with him. And he also makes these gorgeous uh, wicker baskets or bags from waste materials or local straw or local wood. And uh, so he's, he's definitely one of the most famous <laughs> local artisans who's reusing a lot of this waste material making uh, products that they can sell, which is adding destination appeal. Just love it. Uh, one other place that we visited this time is up in the mountains and uh, it takes a little, maybe about 10 minutes to drive there, um, but it's a brand new idea to remake and reform and restore, but also remodel a very old building into a comfortable yet traditional uh, building that can be used for workshops or seminars. And uh, you can see it here. It's an absolutely beautiful area overlooking a real stunning valley You've got rice paddies and local vegetable farms in front and forests behind you, uh, sweeping valley views in the front. Apparently, the stars are absolutely amazing to see up here at night. Um, they did a crowdfunding to try to get the roof redone in the traditional way. So the old thatch style straw roof, which is very difficult to do because a lot of people now in Japan don't have the know-how or skills um, to do this, but they found some people, they got a big group together. So it was not only like doing the roof, but it was also a workshop training activity for the young people to learn how to do it. And inside the building, very modern uh, wood, but also some beautiful old uh, wood inside. Uh, some of the old roofing uh, parts is made of bamboo poles, as it used to. 
And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of great potential for how they can utilize this building to bring uh, visitors in and uh, do activities such as uh, making some kind of product together from reuse of local materials or reuse of waste materials. So there's a lot of potential here for this um, wonderful facility. Now, one of the things I don't think I mentioned um, at Cafe Polestar last time, but it's really important um, part of how Kamikatsu is creating a standard for sustainability for their businesses. They have this zero waste accreditation system, which I had the chance to talk to uh, Sakano-san, uh, Akira Sakano in the series, and she's now based in Kyoto, and she's also promoting the use of these labels and this zero waste accreditation system to other businesses around Japan. But this started in Kamikatsu. And Azuma-san, who runs Cafe Polestar, this is her Cafe Polestar window, and they're listing all the different ways that they're trying to be sustainable. And I thought this is a great example of how complex it is to talk about sustainability. That sustainability relates to almost everything. So in the accreditation system, it makes it more simplified how to understand the different uh, strategies they are using to reduce waste or to benefit local people, right? So you have zero waste, so you can bring your own container and refill here, zero waste shop. Uh, local food, they're using local vegetables, uh, new idea, so the idea label, uh, they have their own original way to reduce waste or benefit the local society. So having this kind of structure where you're clearly transparent about what visitors can expect from this business, what visitors can hope to use and be a part of in terms of reducing waste and contributing more to the local economy. This is a great standard that I really hope to see uh, implemented across Japan more. So if you're interested in this, uh, check out the link below. I'll put the link to when I talk to Sakano-san more about this system. You can see the Kamikatsu only uh, refill a water bottle green label there as well. So that was maybe the first method that they used. And then they started this more simplified uh, label system, the accreditation system. They also, on the top right corner, the blue sticker is the MyMizu sticker. And MyMizu is a wonderful free app which lists place all around Japan and even outside of Japan now across the world where you can refill your water with clean, drinkable, good water um, for free. So if you follow MyMizu, check out the MyMizu app and I'll put the link below to when I had the chance to talk to um, their co-founder for MyMizu, Robin Lewis, below. So I wanted to mention that as a great initiative that I hope to see more of around Japan. Um, MyMizu, or using these accreditation systems as well, um, as connecting to Ecolocal uh, app, which lists more sustainable businesses for free around Japan. MyMizu app, which will list all these businesses around Japan for free. Um, this is all a way to build your branding as well. And you can get free marketing by being listed as a place that will refill people's bottles. So this is definitely something, um, a national scheme that more places, not only in Kamikatsu, but more places around Japan can definitely benefit from. And I think I've done it. That is my second part of Visit to Kamikatsu. And there's so much that I couldn't introduce, but I hope it gave you a taste for all the amazing things to see and do if you do visit uh, this magical zero waste town 
even surprising things like this shocked me. This mannequin that I saw on one of my walks. <laughs> it's so funny. I think it probably scares more people than crows. Don't you think? <laughs> so when you visit the rural areas of Japan and you reconnect to nature, it's such a great way to travel. And hopefully you can find places like Kamikatsu, which are really thinking about how to benefit the local people as well as offer high quality、uh, services and products and assets which visitors can enjoy. And I think in this way, it also creates a lot of appeal for new residents. Which places in the rural areas of Japan definitely need more people to go and live there and help repopulate.、Um, yeah, so I hope you introduce,、uh, in, in, I hope you appreciated or enjoyed some of the insights I gave today.、Um, how long do you recommend staying for? Good question. I recommend at least two nights, three days, minimum, minimum. Kamikatsu is hard to get to.、Uh, it's definitely not somewhere you want to come for a day trip because you want to stay at least one night so you can enjoy some of the hikes, you can enjoy some of the local businesses, you can drink the local amazing craft beer, local sake, local shochu, and stay overnight, not have to get back in your car. So, minimum, I say two nights. So, you can really relax. Enjoy the sounds of the river, enjoy that connection to nature, enjoy the great food, and really、uh, engage with local people and add benefit to the local economy as well. Thank you so much, guys, for joining. It's been wonderful talking about travel. You can tell I am very passionate about travel, and I'm so excited. That some travel、uh, related work is now coming back to me. And so I know I'm very privileged to have these opportunities to travel right now as we're still coming out of the COVID lockdowns.、Um, so I'm really happy and pleased to be able to share some of these travels with you. Thank you so much for joining, everyone. Have a great day. See you next week for another travel destination I've been to that I would love to recommend. Take care, everyone. Thanks again. Bye.